0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When St. Patrick's Day rolls around, it might bring up images of four leaf clovers, Blarney stones, and Irish stout. Today, we add a native flair to the traditions. Native Americans and Irish people have had significant interactions going back more than a century. And as it happens, a musical stage production opens tonight with a fictional account of a native man looking into his Irish roots. We'll hear all about it coming up after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native women's advocates, tribal leaders, Native American members of the Biden administration, and members of Congress were among those at the White House Wednesday celebrating the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. The reauthorization of VAWA includes tribal provisions to increase resources, strengthen sovereignty, and safety across Indian country. President Biden, in his remarks at the event, mentioned tribes twice when talking about jurisdiction issues.
2: Restoring jurisdiction of t- tribal courts. <clears throat> Over non-native domestic violence offenders who abuse women in Indian country.
1: Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Junior was at the Vawa event.
2: Well it's a great day for the country because in the national interest of the United States to have Vawa reauthorized, but it's it's certainly important to Indian country because of the provisions Bawa already contained in the new provisions.
1: Hoskin says what the new provisions will do is allow tribes to have fewer restraints, which he says has kept tribes from protecting the most vulnerable, and will help hold more non-Indian offenders accountable for breaking the law.
3: Tribes across the country have been constrained in terms of addressing sex trafficking and other types of
2: violence that uh, unfortunately more often than not occur uh, with women as their victims, assaults and, and those sorts of offenses were just beyond the reach of tribes, but no more because follow allows us to do what we need to
1: do. The reauthorization restores tribal jurisdiction over non-Indians for certain crimes involving children, sexual violence, stalking, sex trafficking, obstruction of justice, and assaults against law enforcement and corrections personnel. South Dakota officials are determining what to do with a golf course they're acquiring near a state park. A tribal research group wants the land converted to a natural area, as Richard Tubels reports.
4: The Spring Creek Golf Course sits at the southern border of Good Earth State Park, a few miles southeast of Sioux Falls in Lincoln County. A foundation acquired the land and will transfer it to the Department of Game Fish and Parks by 2025. The land may be incorporated into Good Earth, which already spans 1,200 acres and includes the Blood Run National Historic Landmark. It was inhabited by Native Americans between 1300 and 1700 AD. The Omaha Tribal Historical Research Project is proposing the golf course be converted back to its natural condition. The state says there are several options under consideration. Al Nedved is the Deputy State Parks Director.
2: We developed great relationships with the Omaha Tribes and the other tribes, and yes, they uh, they were involved in, in our very first meeting on this uh, Spring Creek issue,
4: and uh, mm-hmm. we would uh, look forward to you know, further discussions with them. The Omaha Tribal Historical Research Project says existing development on the land may have inadvertently violated the federal 1990 Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Nedved says the state wants to know what resources may still exist there. We realize Mm -hmm. the importance of of having a good
2: solid understanding of uh, what's present on the site and a good understanding of what some of the potential options as a state park operation Mm -hmm. might look like
4: there. According to Friends of Blood Run, prior to development, there were 270 visible burial mounds on the site that were reduced to 70 due to construction and farming. I'm Richard Tubles.
1: And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
4: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. support from AmeriCorps. Members who serve in Vista fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available in communities across America. Info at AmeriCorps.gov Vista.
4: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. On a day that has become an annual celebration of Irish culture, we're getting to get two perspectives on how Native Americans might fit in that picture. You might not ordinarily put Ireland and Native Americans in the same discussion, but the truth is there have been several notable interactions over the years, and while there is some kinship among experiences and ideas, not all the connections are positive. We're also going to look at a fictional intersection of Native and Irish cultures, through a musical stage production that opens tonight in Rock Island, Illinois. It's the story of a Navajo man exploring his family roots in Ireland, and he joins an Irish punk band along the way. We'll hear more about that in a few moments. And as always, we'd like to hear from you, our listeners. Does your family have connections to Ireland? Do you even acknowledge St. Patrick's Day? Call in, join our discussion, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1 800 99 Native. On the show today is Connor Donin. He is an adjunct professor at Hood College and talking to us from Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome to Native America Calling, Connor. A little further west in Rock Island, Illinois is Dan Hoy. He's the co-author and producing director for Aaron Power the Musical. Welcome to Native America Calling as well, Dan.
2: It's good to be here. Thank you.
0: Also in Rock Island and an actor in Aaron Power the Musical is Ira Francisco. He is Navajo. Ira, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. You bet. Uh, Connor, are you there? Okay, great. Great to have you on the air as well. Connor, let's start with you. An event that occurred um, a number of years ago. I think many of our listeners might be familiar with it, though. A monetary donation once made by the Choctaw Nation to the people of Ireland. How did that all come about?
6: Yeah, um, this is a really fascinating episode and sort of the relationship between Irish people and Native Americans. during the eight, uh, between 1845 and 1850, Irish people were suffering from uh, what is popularly known as Great Famine. Um, Irish people who start moving to America in masses, um, they they start moving out west, and and a lot of Irish people come in contact with um, the Choctaw and the Cherokee, who have been forced out west as well on the Trail of Tears. And so they they start bonding over uh, these conversations that they're having about sort of forced removal and colonization. And the Choctaw, um, they really resonate with the story of the famine. And so they send a donation through Memphis Irish Relief to the Irish Relief Committee. Uh, and then it actually ends up being more than one donation. A lot of people remember the Choctaw donating, you know, $170, but when I started looking into my research on it, you have two donations from Choctaw at $170 and $150, and then one donation from the Cherokee Nation at $200 as well. And, you know, it's it's a really important philanthropic Uh, contribution, one, because it's helping people who are devastated by famine and colonial oppression, but two, the Choctaw and the Cherokee sort of see it as also a criticism more widely written of the imperialism that they notice uh, is similar between Britain and America.
0: Now, one hundred and seventy dollars, one hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred dollars. So, you know, somewhere south of six hundred dollars total. That was quite a bit of money in those days, right?
6: Yes, yes. I mean, this is much more like if we're sort of converting it to modern numbers. This is tens of thousands of dollars, as opposed to you know, one hundred and seventy dollars, one hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred dollars. Is a lot of money in the eighteen forties, especially a lot of money for uh, people who've been forcefully removed from their homeland, brought into the West, you know, within the last decade. And, you know, many people died of, you know, starvation, um, just died from the travel and the forced removal. So this is not, uh, these are not communities that necessarily have that much money to to send over, and there they are sending over tens of thousands of dollars
0: to help someone else. Now, what was the response from the people from Ireland who received these donations? We we don't have too many written responses
6: or anything that we know of, but what we know is that the Irish uh, the Irish were one sort of uh, shocked. That there were people out there who who cared about their their stories and found like an ally that they didn't know they have, and, and two, it you know it, it builds a lot of goodwill that I think will will last for a long time, and you can tell because the Irish are very uh, heavy on their oral traditions. As a as a community, we often uh, pass our traditions down through um, stories. And the, the Choctaw gift story has, has stuck with the Irish for, you know, hundreds of years now at this point, nearly 200 years at this point. Uh, and even recently during the pandemic, there was Irish people who were donating to the Navajo Nation as part of what they were calling a uh, pay it forward because of the generosity of the, the Choctaw and the Cherokee 170 years ago.
0: Hmm, interesting. Connor. another fascinating piece of history is a visit by a delegation of Irish officials to an Ojibwe tribe about a hundred years ago. Why did they meet with Native Americans?
3: Yeah, so um, in, in
6: 1918, the Irish Republican Party Sinn Féin win the majority of, of seats in Ireland and they declared themselves independent from Britain. And when they do so, uh, it it starts the Irish War of Independence and Eamon de Valera, who is American by birth, uh, is touring the United States as president of Ireland, trying to drum up support from Irish-Americans and also get some support from the American government. Uh, He gets a lot of support from Irish-Americans, but the American government are not um, receptive to the Irish cause. And while on his tour in America, he gets a a, a message from Father Philip Gordon, who is an Ojibwe priest, and he reaches out because he'd been trained by Irish priests in the seminary, and he's really interested in, in Irish independence, and tells him, we want to meet with you. Uh, we have you know, we want to basically support the Irish cause. And so De Valera, uh, Harry Boland, and a few others, they, they go to Wisconsin in the middle of this tour, in the middle of the War of Independence. They go to Wisconsin to, to talk to the Ojibwe. And from the reports that we get, uh, De Valera is named an honorary member of the Ojibwe Nation in front of 3,000 3, Native American people. He, uh, he talks to different leaders who tell him, you know, they see it as an act of joint anti-colonial solidarity. Uh, Kingfisher, who is one of the, the leaders of the Ojibwe at the time, he says, I wish I was able to give you the prettiest blossom in the world for you come to us as a representative of one oppressed part, uh, nation to another. And De Valera speaks in Irish and in English to the audience, which is then translated for people who don't speak Irish, Um, and he gets a lot of thunderous applause. He talks about how, like, I am a white man, but I'm not of the English race, and we, as the Irish, understand you uh, in a way that we don't understand many other people. So there's this joint sort of anti-colonial solidarity, and in that sense, the Ojibwe become the, the, the first nation to recognize the Irish as an independent country.
0: Wow. Yes, yeah, so early diplomatic history between a, a tribal nation and another sovereign nation, in, in this case, across the Atlantic Ocean. Connor, um, it, more recently, there was an event about a year and a half ago in which the Irish lacrosse team showed solidarity with the Iroquois team. What happened there?
6: Yeah, so lacrosse has become quite popular in Ireland recently, which, you know, makes sense when you consider that one of our native sports is a sport called hurling, very much a, uh, like a ball-and-stick game in the same sort of mold as, as lacrosse. And so we have a a, a relatively good uh, national team who are going to the World Cup And the the Iroquois were not included in that year's World Cup. And the Irish said that they didn't feel comfortable being in a World Cup where the creators of the sport were not there. And so they uh, fought to, to pass their place over to the Iroquois so that the Iroquois could be there.
0: So was it successful then? Were the Iroquois able to compete in that tournament? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they get they they passed
6: off their spot, which is was was really great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is that is really, really inspiring to hear that story as well. Well listeners, today on Saint Patrick's Day, we are learning more about the connection between the country of Ireland and our native peoples here in the United States, in Canada, and other parts of North America very interesting discussion. I'm learning a lot myself, a lot of cool history. Folks, anybody with a question or a comment, please reach out. Give us a holler. You know the number 1-800-996-2848. You can also connect with us online at nativeamericacalling.com or on Facebook. So please, please don't hold back. We've got a great show here for you today. You're listening again to Native America Calling, and I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're going to be right back after this short
2: break. You're tuned in to Native America Calling.
0: you. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about connections between Ireland and some tribes in this country. There have been moments of kinship and generosity and also violence and oppression as well. And we'll learn about a musical connection between Ireland and Native America in a moment. If you've got a question or comment for today's conversation, what are you waiting for? Call in now, 1-800-996-2848. Connor, would you say that there is a cultural connection between the country of Ireland and some Native American tribes?
6: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously with, with the diversity of, uh, the indigenous cultures in Native, in in America, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's room for, for difference there. But I, uh, I think that Irish people and, and, and some Native American, uh, nations, they have a lot of, you know, overlap in terms of their connection to the earth and their sort of spiritual connection to, to nature. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, when you look at British colonialism in, in Ireland and American, coloni- uh, American colonialism, like the United States in, uh, towards Native Americans, you often see a lot of overlap in the language used to discuss Native Americans and the Irish. They'll, they'll talk about how they're, you know, overly communal or, uh, you know, they get annoyed about the Irish and Native Americans not having the same concept of private property. Uh, and and the reason for them is it's is alien, but it makes sense for the Irish and Native Americans is that they have such a strong relationship to, to the natural world, especially. Uh, that you know they they don't see the same worldview that that um, the anglo sort of Protestant um, imperial powers have you know and and I think that's one of the reasons that you see these overlaps in conversations, and even now culturally, I find that as as a person who was born in Ireland, moved to America and spent time you know uh, with, with different uh, tribes that there's a lot of overlap in terms of current
3: cultural issues.
6: Uh, a lot of people trying to restore their language and doing sort of the great work that that uh, you guys are doing in terms of like bringing uh, tradition and, and culture and politics into, into the modern world and showing how the, the, the systems live on. You're getting a lot of Irish people, Native Americans, looking at each other and trying to learn how to restore their language, how to re- rebuild a lot of these traditions, and also even some of the problems that we face. Like, I grew up in Belfast. Uh, I don't know how much you're, you are aware of what's going on over there, but we have you know, a very high um, high rate uh, of of substance abuse and death by suicide et cetera um missing people which has become which is also really big in Native American uh tribes today as well
0: sadly yes uh and we both have clans too right
6: yeah that is true yeah we we both have uh you know sort of a a traditional system of of clans and and family networks that that uh you know that have proven vital to our communities.
0: Connor, uh is it true that there was a fair amount of intermarriage between Irish and native people? Yeah, there was
6: uh definitely a lot more intermarriage it seems from my research between Irish and Native American people than there were between Native Americans at least in the 19th and 20th century and other uh European um Migrants and settlers, you know, so you see a lot of like Irish people who marry into lakota navajo um when when they move out west uh people who you know and and newspapers and, and and people talk about this a lot they they're always very confused about why why Native Americans the Irish seem to get along and why there seems to be a lot of intermarriage um but when you actually look at the stories and see what's going on and listen to, you know, the oral tr- traditions of what Native Americans are saying, often what what you get is, you know, they, they understood our culture better, they were willing to embrace our language and willing to, you know, live within our system more. Uh, we had sort of a lot of overlap and they cared about our causes and, you know, Irish people seem more willing than other Europeans to buy into uh, the, the criticism of the American government and imperialism there. So, which makes sense when you consider their own, their own relationship to imperialism, too. You know, so it mm-hmm. seems like there's a lot of intermarriage in there.
0: Connor, I know that many Irish immigrants enlisted in the U.S. military. In fact, a lot of the soldiers who were killed during the Battle of Little Bighorn were Irish immigrants. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that military connection that the Irish had? Yeah, that, that, that is true.
6: About one quarter of the U.S. soldiers in the American West during the sort of uh, mid to late 19th century were, were Irish born. And so that's about about 25 percent. There was a huge military connection there. And this is sort of the darker side of Irish Native American interactions that Irish people sometimes shy away from. And something that I've said that we should definitely uh, highlight and talk about, which is our our own role in the oppression of indigenous peoples in America. And so you see probably a lot of people, like a lot of Irish people, are in the, in the Battle of Little Bighorn, work with Custer. Um, you also see major military figures, Patrick Connor, Thomas Francis Marr, who are all Irish, who, who are in the uh, American military. Actually, one of the most interesting stories that I found was Thomas Francis Marr, who was an Irish revolutionary in the Young Ireland movement. He got exiled to the United States um, after the rebellion, and he became a uh, he became a general in the American military. But what was interesting about it is is Irish people really celebrate Thomas Francis Maher because he brought the uh, current Irish flag to Ireland, like the current iteration of it. Uh, he was known for one of, being one of the people who brought it over. Uh, But what they don't mention is that um, Mar died on a boat trip going to get guns to uh, kill uh, the Crow tribe who were attacking trade routes in Montana.
0: Hmm. Connor, this is all so fascinating. Thank you. Great context. Again, really, really interesting, insightful history here. Let's bring in our second guest on the show, Dan Hoy. And again, he's the co-author and producing director for Aaron Power, the musical. Dan, your new musical, it opens tonight. Um, I got to say a story about a Navajo man exploring his Irish roots. Isn't one I've heard before. What was your inspiration?
2: Well, it was three steps and thanks for having me and those steps occurred. Over a long period of time between 1986 and roughly 2010. Um, and I just want to clarify one thing that is culturally important about this character called Aaron Thorne is that, uh, you know, I guess biologically we would say he's half white because he's half Irish and he's half Navajo. But the culture that he was raised in was one of Shiprock, New Mexico on the Navajo Reservation. Culture is so important in what shapes us. And so he's not been exposed to much of the Irishness that his father is trying to hide. He doesn't do it well. He complains, or he says at times, doesn't complain, but he comments This is Aaron Thorne. He says, my father Colin Thorne, he sometimes spoke in strange words when he would uh, cuss or he'd swear. And we couldn't quite figure him out if he was trying to speak Navajo or what it was but it would be his uh, Irishness; It would be his Irish-Gaelic specific language, the non-English language. And so he didn't get much of that as as a character. But to go back about the inspiration, um, it probably goes back to a conversation that my brother and father, rest their souls, and I had about 1986 at our family dining table. My brother was uh, in the Mormon priesthood, and He was very heavily into genealogy, as many Mormon families are. Um, My other half of our family, the rest of us, were Methodists. And he comes to the dinner table and has articles that he found. And he presents them to my dad, and he says, Look, Dad, at these articles and pictures. We have traced that your cousin is Charles Hockey, as they say in Ireland, or Charles Hoy. And we can find this both biologically and as well factually he is practically royalty he's the Irish tea such, which is like the political chief, it's almost like uh, the president of Ireland but not quite, it's very different culturally and politically he is a very powerful individual and so along with this went the good and the bad in many different stories about this cousin to my father my father says in response like a true Irishman oh, he put his pants on one leg at a time like we do My father really doesn't care much about all that royalty. And so that was interesting to me. And then move along. I'm going to go up to about 2008. Um, Beautiful day. And one of my other siblings, a sister, has passed on. My eldest sister and I are there at the cemetery. It's so beautiful in Virginia where it was. And she's a world traveler. And my sister says, hey, let's go to Ireland. And then that happened. Um, Actually, it was around 2009. 2009. And I got more immersed, and I had collected more about this character, Charles Hawkey. And when I was on the ground in Ireland, I found out even more about how influential he was on making Ireland the Celtic Tiger and being imperialistic in some ways, but also isolationist because he was very much uh, representing the Republic and as well – he was not in favor of Great Britain being involved in Northern Ireland. He was a gunrunner for the IRA. He was a rapscallion, but one of the most respected leaders over time. He served uh, actually uh, two two and a half terms as the T. Such of Ireland. Um, hmm. He was Catholic, um, and there are many things about him that are dualities. Just many things, but well revered, depending on what pub you go to. So okay. this was my family. This was part of my story. And I said, this is a drama. I'm also, uh, I'm a theater guy. I'm I'm a playwright. uh, I'm an actor. I'm a director. Most of my time has been directing. I know a good drama. When I see it, a good story. I said, somebody's got to turn this into a play or a musical. Well, then fast forward to 2010. This is part of the inspiration. I mean, it just grew on me over time. I retired. I've got more time to do things like creative writing, plays, musicals, And I'm at my church, and I turn to the church choir director. His name is Michael Callahan, and he's written some beautiful ballads for spiritual reasons. And I'm hearing them, and he's a great writer. He's gifted. And I just say to him, Michael, you want to write a musical? I got an idea. And there it went. And it was about this story of a young man who has to trace his roots back to one of the most prominent people in Ireland, although we changed the names to protect the innocent. (laughs) Okay. Well,
0: it's usually the other way around, right? For better or worse, it's an Anglo person setting off in search of their native ancestry. So (laughs) you've definitely flipped the script here, but no pun
2: intended. Yeah, I mean, and then the other, uh, you know, back layer to this inspiration is, you know, I I have to admit, I want anything I write because I spend so much time on writing it. I can spend two weeks, I can spend two or three years writing a play. And I've written one other one-act musical. I've never written a full-length as ambitious, and this is a very ambitious story with a very ambitious style of music and a very ambitious plot. It is a full-length, fully-mounted show. And I have to admit that um, I try to make the audience please and keep them interested and engaged and help them escape their own realities when I write these things or co-write and so I said to myself, how could I find a protagonist that everyone could empathize with? Maybe if this is going to be Irish-American, which I wanted it to be. I wanted it to find co- cultural crosswinds that could get to, get us to Ireland and somewhat deep into the culture of Ireland now. I, I said, what could I do? Who could I find as the most dramatic character that I could think of who would be fully American? Well, I'd also spent teaching and directing at a small college in the Four Corners area in America called San Juan College. Oh, I had okay. spent a lot of interaction time with Native Americans of different tribes, but especially the Navajo Nation. And many of my students, some of them, I guess you would say were biracial. They were, they were Navajo, but they had these very stories. Some were happy, sad, some had some conflict resolution going on, both culturally, both uh, ancestry-wise, but they would bring me these stories about what it meant to be raised in a family with all this culture swarming around them from two different directions. And I empathized with these students, and I just thought, you know, I'm not Navajo. I'm not Native American. I am from the Irish background. I've heard a lot about that culture, and I've experienced it. But If I could go as far as possible in the cultural crosswinds of the world, I think it would be to find a young man who was troubled, just turned 21, and had talents and abilities, but was mostly Navajo. And that's where the character of Aaron Thorne was born and is a sure inspiration to how this story travels and works. Wow, wow, yeah, so, so opening his, his night problem, okay. are
0: are you ready for opening night tonight?
2: oh, yeah, I think we are i'll I'll leave uh, I'll leave Ira to speak about that. who is Aaron Thorne who takes that journey to find the grandfather he never knew in Ireland.
0: Is it more than coincidence that um you're opening on St Patrick's Day?
2: No, it is not a coincidence again, you know we part of it is, but we worked through COVID with this project for for what two to three years. So since roughly, we had a um, we had we had a think tank group who kind of guided us how we could create this production and do it with a nonprofit uh, title uh, called Aaron Power Musical Resources. So it's been a long haul just to get through that. But we just said, you know, this could be a good time. It could be low COVID. Um, <laughs> But it is an Irish-American story, so why not? And it is a synergy. People are all talking about it now because it is the time of the Irish. I'm Absolutely. Everybody's Irish. And Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, folks, we are talking with a playwright and a director. We've got an actor on the show. We've also got an academia, and they're all informing us, enlightening us on interesting issues, history, contemporary issues, as well as this exciting new musical that's going to uh, open tonight, all, again, relating to Irish culture and Native American culture. So if you've got any questions or comments, please, we still got time. Give us a holler, 1-800-996-2848. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and you are listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. It's St. Patrick's Day, not typically a day that Native people find much connection with, but there are important intersections that we're discussing today. If you'd like to contribute to our conversation, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's get a sample of what we're talking about with the show, Aaron Power, the musical. This is a cast recording of the song, Death punk ballad. Dan, could you give us a quick summary of what we're about to hear in this recording?
2: Well, this happens when the the main character, Aaron Thorne, is swept up in a musical style that he has come to like. He's even contributing to it, helping to co-write some of the songs. And it's just this grungy kind of, um, I guess you'd say, earthy, and yet about life, death in the punk world of Celtic punk. And so I would kind of let it go at that and maybe play a piece.
0: Okay, here is Death Punk Ballad from Aaron Power, The Musical. Was called Death Punk Ballad from the show Aaron Power, the musical that opens tonight in Rock Island, Illinois. Dan, best of luck on the show and congratulations on this production. Let's bring Ira Francisco into our conversation now. And Ira, earlier I introduced you as, as being Navajo, but you're also Navajo and Ojibwe. So I want to make that clear.
2: Yes,
0: Ira, like I mentioned earlier, Aaron Power the musical doesn't sound like your typical Native American storyline for a play. How did you get involved in the production?
3: Well, I was first come to by a career counselor working with a CIMC. And he told me he saw this uh, you know, audition and they were searching for a Native American actor between the ages of 21 and 25 Tall, musical talents, all of that. Now, I was the first person that he thought of when he saw that role. So, I looked at the script, you know, called up my dad, and hey, can you give me a ride out here? And he's like, oh yeah, sure. Where's that? I looked it up, <laughs> and it was four hours away. And oh boy, he said, yeah, it's okay. Let's go do it. Let's see what happens. So I show up to this audition and they asked me to sing a rock song. Now, my only musical experience is in powwow music. (laughs) So I just showed up with my drum, sang a few songs and they cast me right then and there.
0: Very cool. And
3: it it was a long journey trying to figure out how I was going to stay out here, but we eventually figured it out, you know, all the stars really just aligned like that.
0: Well, Ira, tell us more about your character.
3: Oh, my character, his name is Aaron Thorne. He is half Navajo and half Irish. And he doesn't really know his Irish roots. He's rooted in more of Navajo culture. And at, throughout the rehearsals, I learned more and more about the character and he relates very much to me, he's a powwow dancer, he sings, and his favorite instrument is the drum. Uh, throughout the entire play, he just, he bonds with this group, you know, ever since the very first scene, they instantly are like, yeah, this guy is punk, this is what we need inside this band. And as the story progresses, he becomes deeper and deeper involved in this, ba- in this band. And as one of the <laughs> one of the characters say, he turns them into real punkers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what? What And this journey that that your character takes, um, what does he learn about himself during the course of of the, of the play?
3: Well, I guess my main perspective on what he learns is he learns to accept others that aren't within his own culture because at first it's a very big culture shock when he first arrives you know he comes from you know shiprock, and when he first arrives in ireland everyone's drinking in the morning and you know this is exactly what he was trying to get away from hmm. and I guess over the entire play, he just learns to live with this and he learns to live with these people. He finds more more and more similarities between these people than he could have ever expected. And it all leads up to his final quest of finding his grandfather. And Aaron doesn't exactly accept his grandfather at first. And that's <laughs> all I can really say about that.
0: Yeah. No, it sounds really fascinating. And obviously we don't want to uh, give too many uh, spoilers away, but Ira, are there any other native actors in the play besides yourself?
3: There is not.
0: It's mainly based in
3: Ireland. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue, please. Mainly based in
3: Ireland. Yep. It's mainly based in Ireland. So all of the other actors are white and they portray Irish characters. So I definitely stand out on the stage between everyone else. It's, it's definitely a culture shock, like I said before.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Ira, where did you grow up?
3: I grew up in Chicago. Uh, my dad is from the Navajo Indian Reservation. He comes from Crystal, New Mexico. And I was raised in the, the powwow community there in Chicago.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting background. So do you have yourself any Irish roots in your family tree? Uh, I do believe on my mom's
3: side, I have some sort of Irish roots, but I never really took the chance to uh, explore it.
0: Did this um, project, has that inspired you to maybe look into that at all or any desire to, to visit Ireland at some point in the future?
3: Yes, yeah, for sure. It It's definitely opened up a lot of... Uh, similarities that I've seen between Irish culture and Native culture. And I never really made these connections before I came out here to display. And I was aware of, you know, connections between the American Indian people and the Irish. But I didn't know it goes even deeper with all the way down to spirituality and just the whole belief systems, even down to the drums. Um, one of the characters... His name is Seamus, he plays the drum called the Boran. And when I first saw it, I thought it was a native hand drum. And when he started playing it, I noticed how there was similarities and there was differences within the types of beats that this drum makes compared to the native American hand drum.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Ira, how long have you been acting and performing?
3: Uh, this is actually
0: my first show. But you, you were a musician or just powwow stuff in in the, in the past or have you done any? Okay. Awesome.
3: Uh, just powwow stuff in the past, definitely, uh, singing, um, a bit of activism and, you know, I was looking for some path to go after, um, I actually came out here right after, uh, let's see, I came out here about February. And over the summer, I was out you know protesting pipelines, and I guess this is where the next step took me.:
0: <laughs> Okay, well Ira, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and, and keep up to date with everything you have going on? It sounds like you've got a, you wear a lot of hats, you do a lot of projects. you have Facebook or anything like that. people can connect with yeah, you.
3: yeah um. You can find me on TikTok at N-D-N Aesthetics, A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-X. I I am on Facebook at Ira Francisco and Instagram at, again, N-D-N Aesthetics.
0: Okay. Well, Ira, congratulations. And hey, break a leg tonight, okay? (laughs) I will. Okay. Dan, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about um the creative process for for being a a first-time uh writer of a musical. What was that like?
2: Well, I've written music um nominally, but I've written one other musical which was a one act, which was helpful. Studied musical theater. I've been in uh, a, a lot of helpful and traditional kinds of musical theater experiences as an actor that have stead me for this. I'd even studied music theory and so forth. But what it was like was a real give and take of processes and approaches with my cohort, Michael Callahan, my colleague. He thinks and we both think when we have a different plot, a different set of characters that have their own themes, even though we have our own preferred process, every project is different for us individually so he was coming from kind of his norms as a composer also he writes plays i was coming from my norms but then we both kind of left that at the door and say what do we have to establish as a collaborative norm so the process was like um i came up with the general idea wrote that down that was the main idea uh, with no character names. And then we evolved, flesh out the characters that would help that. And then finally we wrote a synopsis that led to a scenario, a full outline of the action and the characters. And it was ambitious. Um, and then that then took us roughly over 12 years to take it through a process of stage readings, rewrites, readings, copyrights, recopyrights, um, and then honing down. Um, it just you know, with being the book or writing the book or the librettist on that side of it, Michael and I both did both things. We wrote music. He wrote most of it. But we also wrote dialogue and and monologues and and the language of it. We uh, found that just, you know, with the language, with the dialogue, it's all about economy in a musical. And so you're constantly cutting and cutting down. We even cut out characters. We've probably cut out a third of the characters that we started with. It was very spectacular when we started, but now it's something different, and it has its own sense of truth, and and that's what the process did for us over about 12 years.
0: Dan, any chance the show might travel? It would be great if you could reach more Native audiences.
2: Well, uh, one of uh, the counselors... For Ira in Chicago said that was his first question. When are you going to bring us, get it on the road to Chicago? Or when are you going to take it to Dublin? And sure, we'd love to have this go to the next level. So we'll see what happens. So any listeners out there, I was just uh, talking to uh, someone with a public uh, radio station back in Farmington, New Mexico, New Mexico today, by way of text and Facebook. And uh, we're about ready to pitch it out that direction. Um, so maybe it'll come to New Mexico first. I think it's about ready.
0: Yeah, and, and for sure, since you know the, the, the story has a, a setting there in Shiprock, uh, that'd be a really good fit. Dan, where can listeners go to learn more about Aaron Power, the musical?
2: Well, for now, uh, the entity, uh, the producing organization, does not have a website, so they'd need to go to my website to the homepage, which would simply be uh, www.danact3.com. That's the number three, danact3.com. And under news, they can scroll down and find out more about the opening tonight, the run of the show. They can find another site that they can even email to us, which is simply erinpowermusical at gmail.com. But they can also get a synopsis. They can see some of the characters and see some of the culture we've been talking about. And I do want to add we've been lucky to have a few good Cultural consultants, including Ira and uh, a lady who's head of the local Native American Coalition, Regina Sosi, who may even be listening today. She's out um, in Arizona right now, but we have been blessed to have so many from the Native American culture involved in the process.
0: Yeah, great to hear that you have that that expertise to provide those cultural insights to to make sure that um, you know your your focus is there, that the theme is there, that it's uh, culturally, maybe historically correct. So wonderful, wonderful conversation today. I, I learned so much uh, and, and all this week I'm learning a lot about some of these different European cultures and their connection to Native America. So I do want to uh, give a big th- shout out to, to our guest today. Uh, we have Connor Donnan on the show, Dan Hoy and Ira Francisco. Uh, All all of them, just wonderful guests informing us on historical interactions between Ireland and Native Americans and offering us this sneak peek at Aaron Power, the musical. So unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today's show. We're going to have to wrap it up. But again, interesting, interesting conversation. We're back on the air again, live tomorrow, and we'll be talking about inflation. Have you noticed groceries, utilities, and other basic expenses taking a bigger bite out of your bank account? We'll discuss the causes of rising prices and why it's such a big deal for Native people. That's tomorrow on Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Happy St. Patrick's Day.
5: Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diplomas. In person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu.